Welcome to Childhood History and Critique. I'm Pat Ryan, and I'm speaking with Greg Bowden, McEwen University. He, Greg finished his uh, uh, dissertation at the University of Alberta in sociology in 2012. Uh, the title of his uh, thesis was uh, Disorders of Inattention and Hyperactivity, a Normalizing Project. And one reason that, that up Greg and and established a relationship is a couple of, you know, really good articles that have come out in the last uh, 18 months, one in health and one in the uh, history of the human sciences on uh, ADHD. So, Greg, welcome to the to the show. Hello. Can you tell us a bit about the genealogy of ADHD or situate it historically? Um, sure, I, I could do that. Um, something that I'd point out first is that we know ADHD isn't um, solely a contemporary phenomenon. That people often say, they hear about ADHD and say, well, in my day, you know, no children are diagnosed with this. But we know it goes back at least um, 20 or 30 years to the 60s and 70s, uh, North America and the U.S. especially. Um, people have tried to find even earlier origins for ADHD, um, this kind of terminology of hyperkinetic behavior, um, earlier in the 20th century or prior to the turn of the 20th century, um, and children manifesting this kind of distracted behavior. Interesting. As you say that, I think of the late 19th century category of moral imbecility from Martin Barr, which sort of, there wasn't a clear distinction between what they called feeble-mindedness and what might be considered a lack of um, self-control. Is that is there anything to, to that connection? Oh, I should say absolutely, yes. And I think in some ways it was more explicit um, in that period that you were talking about, this connection between a kind of, um, a kind of moral deficiency um, and, uh, say, a cognitive or a... Or a or uh, intellectual deficiency or, or disorder, that um, um, now that that kind of the, the moral implications, say, of uh, this kind of uh, uh, moral deficiency or, or impairment um, is really occluded or it's really hidden in the in the language of ADHD. So this is something that was actually more clear, um, again, in the period that you that you speak of. Yeah, it becomes hard, harder because as soon as I use that word moral in the present, it seems like I've somehow transgressed outside of the lexicon of medical science. Um, yeah, that's right. That there's a there's a there's a belief that the objects of medical science are um, amoral, not connected to social norms about what's proper. Um, right. So you have this this sort of detached, disinterested world of the objects of medicine, and in contrast, you have. Um, the world of moral judgment and ethical concerns and so on. And so that opposition, um, people try to sustain it, but I think my work um, tries to trouble that distinction a bit, that we can't keep those things separated. So would it be accurate to say that in some ways the development of a diagnostic category, which we now call ADHD, is partly a story, and this is just one of the potential parameters, of making a distinction between moral objects and medical objects of knowledge. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's true. That, um, As I said, we've seen some increasing public attention given to ADHD and treatments for it, you know, there's pharmaceutical treatment, behavioral treatment, and so on. Um, and there's been a real attempt to legitimize ADHD um, uh, 
on the principle that it's not a moral category, that it is simply an objective description of uh, neurological variation. Yeah, and then the other side of that is that the attack is that it is um, uh, only driven by political slash uh, ethical concerns, and that needs to not as be in diagnostic language at all. Right. No, that, that's right. The interesting thing is that the, the, the attack or the critical stance towards ADHD, the skeptical stance, says um, equally says, well, there is not enough science to show that the disorder is legitimate, right? This is purely a moral or ethical um, construct that's, that's taken on the cloak of medicine, but there's not sufficient scientific evidence to justify this, if that's what you... Yeah, so the, so the, so the point of continuity in the two sides that are, in one sense, polar opposites is that you cannot have the moral slash political ethical within the medical discourse or you have some kind of uh, epistemological transgression going on. Yeah, that this is seen, and I, I would disagree, but this is seen to invalidate medicine. Mm-hmm. Right? The idea that medicine might be associated or has something to do with with social norms or values, that's understood to invalidate medicine, which, again, I, I try to, to trouble that attitude. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and, and I, that's something that I recognize is that there's that common point. Are there um, when you think about the sort of polarized positions between antipsychiatry, if I could use that term, and let's say some of the attempts to legitimate or even create a popular identification with uh, diagnostic categories? What are some of the other responses you might have to the nature of that debate? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. That's kind of central to some of the things I've been uh, working on with ADHD um, because I, I hear this this polarized debate, um, and it's been sort of <laughs> entrenched for a long time now. So I wanted to find some way to talk about it differently. Um, and I think that is finding those continuities between um, what are otherwise going to be polarized positions. One in particular is that... Um, um, regardless of whether one is an ADHD skeptic or sort of ADHD sympathetic, um, all these positions still prescribe some kind of intervention for children, right? So mm-hmm. um, whether a child is uh, receives an ADHD diagnosis, whether the, this active or hyperactive behavior is seen to be um, normal, quote-unquote normal or something dysfunctional or pathological, um, there's always nonetheless some kind of intervention prescribed. So from the sympathetic side, they might prescribe pharmaceutical treatment, behavioral interventions, classroom modification. And then for other people who are skeptical of ADHD as a category, they still um, prescribe interventions about raising children properly, teaching them right from wrong, um, you know, increasing uh, parental disciplinary standards and so on. So there's this continuity, again, um, about the child being an object of transformation, something that has to be shaped um, in particular ways. And, and and so that may be another thing that if we're if we're trying to understand ADHD culturally, so, sociologically, historically, is that that uh, the child as a site for uh, work is part of what this debate uh, and the, the category is doing in our society and our culture is that it makes that more possible. Yeah, that, um, that, that's right, that children 
Um, well, first, I think um, people's strong responses to ADHD, regardless of the, the specifics of the response, are precisely uh, uh, that it says something about childhood, right? What does it mean to be a child, uh, to be a good child or, uh, or a, you know, disruptive one? Um, but, yeah, it reinforces the idea that childhood is a, is a site where social institutions are allowed to apply themselves. And so what we see is that um, medical interventions, similar to other kinds of interventions, are, I would say, socialization through other means, right? That, that pharmaceutical treatment or behavioral modification are ways to help people fit into the world. So their forms, of, you know, fit with social norms about behavior. But that's kind of um, counterintuitive that taking, um, taking medication might help you become a more socialized creature. Do you have particular concerns about the consequences, just the, the, and again, I'm, I'm forcing a distinction that you might not accept, but okay. the, 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 the biological consequences of the drugs themselves, or, or at least the possibility that we're in some sense sort of experimenting and, and are, are, are prescribing medications where it's not clear what the consequences are on the bodies of the children. Yeah, um, well, that is something, sure, and I don't want to, to sort of um, occlude or, or, or um, I don't want to ignore that fact that um, that um, these kinds of medications, the stimulant medication is what is usually prescribed for um, attention and these, uh, attention behavior disorders. Um, stimulant medication is serious business, right, that these aren't um, trivial trivial drugs to take. Um, and again, when we're talking about children, it's not trivial to engage in this kind of treatment regimen. So I think some kind of um, wariness or concern is certainly warranted. Uh, and this is just, maybe I'm just being contrary again, is that um, uh, we might also want to be critical or wary about um, really in-depth behavioral interventions, that yeah. um, these two really transform, can transform somebody's identity, their sense of their self. But what does it mean to give a child... Um, uh, these token or reward systems, um, all these checklists for behavior, having to modify space and so on and so forth. But this is also, so it's not to say that um, pharmaceuticals are therefore um, benign, but that um, other forms of intervention can also be really problematic, that um, they really do shape people's ideas about who they are, um, what kind of life is possible. And, and, and in either case, it's not like we can snap our fingers and get ourselves out of the consequences of either either type or a, any set of interventions that we might have engaged in. Um, that's right, um, and and two that uh, I think too that the these interventions aren't um, that the sort of cause and effect aren't. Um, always obvious or immediately obvious that people engage in these things and put a lot of effort into them and try to vary them just to, to try to address some, some uh, problems that they might be experiencing. But um, it's not immediately clear what kind of, what, what it is that what we do does. Um, yeah. You know, a bit of a torturous phrase, but um, in the long run, what does it mean? Again, suppose you have somebody who's engaging in kind of behavioral modification for 20 years. Um, again, how do you know what kind of life that will produce? Or to take stimulant medication for 20 or 30 years, what kind of life does that produce as well? Exactly, and I, there's a Foucauldian phrase you're drawing on there. We you, people can, you know, do what they want, and sometimes they can can know why they're doing it, but it's not always clear what you're doing is going to do. 
So these this unintended consequences. Right. And so it's one thing, say, for somebody with a critical um, a social-historical perspective to engage in, um, say, pharmaceutical treatment. Um, but it's another to have um, large sections of the population engaging it um, without um, uh, expecting them to take on a kind of critical stance towards what they're doing. Um, that we're always sort of uh, reinforcing these ideas um, without being aware that that's what we're that's what we're doing. I think you're absolutely right about that. One thing that I, in your work, that I found uh, really helpful is this um, phrase um, that the that that the disorder is part of a project, the ADH disorder, categorizing it as a disorder, and the the intervention is part of a project for producing responsible subjects that that connects it back into a much longer project and really widens widens the uh, phenomena. It, it suddenly ADHD isn't just an isolated late 20th century medical project, but one way to understand modernity in terms of childhood is that childhood becomes the primary site for producing rep- responsible subjects. So that part that that I think that's an extremely valuable way to phrase or to categorize the study of ADHD or the phenomena of ADHD. Um, what would you, um, I don't know if that's how you've intended that phrase, but what would you, you add to that phrase, uh, that way of understanding ADHD, uh, in addition to maybe the things that I just said? Um, no, I think that's a, that's a good summation of it, that, it is about producing responsible subjects that, um, so, uh, the, the, the people who are diagnosed become the site where a kind of political and ethical subjectivity is generated. If we look at the history of ADHD, if it was only about, um, excessive movement, right, or, or caloric expenditure or, or people running around, um, too much, then we might have imagined certain kinds of treatments. We might have seen tranquilizers proposed or sedatives or physical restraints if the problem was simply one of movement. But these these kinds of treatments, tranquilizers and sedatives and so on, um, have not been used. So the disorder is really about something other than just excessive movement or something other than movement. Um, it's really about ensuring that children um, uh, are, are, again, these ethical subjects where they know how to take turns, they know how to not interrupt, how to behave in particular social circumstances that when you're out dining or something, you don't get up from the table and wander around. So um, uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but... Um, this means then that the production of responsible subjects, it's about producing um, uh, individuals who uh, don't simply sit still, but who can be ascribed responsibility for their behavior. Um, let me try another approach. That when uh, children with uh, diagnosed with ADHD misbehave, there's this kind of contradiction. At one point, on one hand, we're supposed to um, stop their, their misbehavior, right? Children who interrupt again or button line or something or can't control, regulate their behavior. Um, this is supposed to be changed. At the same time, this seems unethical because if ADHD is actually a neurological problem, mm-hmm. um, then uh, then how can you hold the child responsible for their behavior, right? If it's a neurological problem, then presumably it's not their free will which made them act the way that they do. And that's, in a sense, that's 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 part of a, a paradoxical element of modernity. That's that's there whenever you're thinking about a self-reflective subject that is a subject that views itself as an object and 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 in terms of art this is you know captured in lots of ways but 
you could imagine that, you know, a representation like a hand that draws itself is a sort of classic oh. representation of reflexivity, right? And that yeah. itself is a paradox. And ADHD is thematically, you know, caught in that that sort of uh, cultural moment, if you will. It seems to what? me. The, sorry, yeah. So, so the question is, how do you know that somebody with ADHD is sort of uh, treated or cured or, or living, you know, um, has their ADHD addressed? How do you know? Well, it's because that they um, submit to social norms. They behave themselves. So what is, on one hand, the sign of freedom, right, the fact that somebody's not controlled by their ADHD, is um, precisely their compliance or acquiescence to social rules, that you manifest your freedom, your, your capacity for, for agency, you manifest this, Precisely by subordinating yourself to the demands of the situation. Yeah, that's well put. How would you respond as someone who's interested in historical sociology and sociology of knowledge um, to uh, something that I sometimes hear, uh, and it's a sort of unfair claim in, in my own view, but I think it needs to have a response, and that is, Oh, that's fine. You're engaging in, in all of this analysis, but are you saying that we should do nothing? Yeah, sure. I think that's a good question. Um, on one hand, um, I would say that this, the fact that there's no obvious solution is kind of a sign that one has taken sort of a good critical position, right? That it's drawn things into question. It's no longer obvious what we should do. Um, but again, that isn't very helpful for people who want to, you know, write diagnostic manuals or something. Um, as you say, or might have children who might, um, obtain a diagnosis. Um, so, what I think is that um, my work or the critical stance that I pursue um, really justifies understanding medicine and, and diagnostic categories as, to some extent, political ethical categories. And this would um, justify something. I'm thinking of the recent changes to the DSM, to the fifth edition, which, as we know, has um, uh, been recently made, the recent um, DSM-5, Um that um, in the process of producing this revision to the DSM, the APA sought input from various stakeholders, including the public and groups with various interests in it. And I think that the kind of critical work that I and, and as you say, you and others do, this critical work justifies the need for that kind of public input, that kind of um, a recognition that um, these diagnostic, diagnostic categories are um, political ethical categories, and therefore um, you should have multiple people having a say in it. What do you think of this idea? Something that has occurred to me when I've faced that critique is it's let's say you have a, a, a problem with a, a child who, who can't um, conduct themselves in an acceptable way in a classroom. It, as soon as you get away from believing that the classroom is a natural phenomenon and begin seeing it as part of what is producing the problem, then you have to widen your aperture uh, of what counts as an intervention from the person of the child to the entire situation that's producing what you're experiencing as a problem. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a really, uh, a really smart response. This, um, if we can recognize that um, diagnostic, diagnostic categories are really a function of the structures in which they find themselves, then it expands um, our options, right? our political options, or what we might imagine as possible politically that we can, instead of just seeing something as a physiological dysfunction, we realize that um, there's also the potential to transform classrooms, transform the structure, definitions of education, um, to reconsider what we mean by childhood and, and so on. That um, So this doesn't really solve a problem, but it gives us more room um, ethically and politically in what we might want to, in what we might want to change.
started our conversation uh, discussing a bit about this kind of stagnant opposition between um, sort of ADHD skepticism and then the idea that ADHD is just a physiological category. Um, and so th that sort of um, stagnant opposition really forecloses what we might um, see as possible. Um, so, the, yeah, this critical work sort of um, um, helps us think around those kinds of oppositions and come up with new ways uh, of addressing these problems, new ways of thinking about um, how we might relate to them. Uh, this has been uh, an interesting conversation, and uh, I, um, uh, I really appreciate you spending uh, a little bit of your time with us. Well, thanks very much, Patrick. Yes, I enjoyed it as well. Take care. You too.